This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Muck Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get reward points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. From Flint to Philadelphia, from Hollywell to Hollywood. Rob Ryan Red is a brand new Wrexham AFC fans podcast by Nathan Salt and Richard Fay. Now, maybe you're well-versed in Wrexham history, or maybe you're new here, so here's a few things to jog your memory. Here is Vose. Great dribbling by Don Vose. And still, Vose, he gets us another! Oh, what a goal! Don Vose! One of the goals of the season! He has toyed with the defence there! And that is remarkable, the ball boys getting involved. Conor Jennings, the captain, Wrexham's top goal scorer, 13 for the season. 14! Wrexham lead! It's Wrexham 1! Chester now! It's McDonough for Wrexham! Still Jerry McDonough! It's Pat Caroline! McDonough round the keeper! Wrexham! Wrexham! Need to the lead leaders! If yesterday was a Black Friday, but today is a Red Saturday! Kroisar, hello, welcome to the latest episode of Rob Ryan Red, the Wrexham AFC podcast. I'm Rich Fay. I'm joined again by Nathan Salt. It's been another busy week following Wrexham. We've had two new signings, the first of the Phil Parkinson era. We've had a new goalkeeper, coach appointed as well. There's news of a new pre-season friendly just around the corner. And of course, the deal that Expedia will be the back of the shirt sponsors and the new travel sponsors of Wrexham. I suppose you could say, Nath, things are finally starting to take off. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you're proud of that one, aren't you, Rich the Pond? Uh, yeah, it's good to be back on. It feels like the podcasts fly by, don't they, now? Th- thanks so much for everyone that sent lots of nice comments. And I had a couple of DMs on Twitter about the last one with Ken Izzy. That was actually really interesting. Um, and so, yeah, thanks for that. And we've got someone else who played under Parkinson a little bit more recently than Ken did later in the episode. So do stay tuned for that one. But yeah, Rich, as you say, busy week and things really seem to be clicking together now. From the conversations I've had with people behind the scenes, just overflowing of overflow of positivity at the moment. You know, new signings, which I'm sure we'll get into, maybe didn't quite set the world alight of what people were expecting. It, it wasn't Lionel Messi and Sergio Ramos, but yeah, things things stuck. I think you know what I said when when Parkinson got appointed. He's not the most Hollywood name, but he's effective and he is experienced. And I feel like we'll probably go down that route in terms of the signings as well. 
not sure what you think on that. Maybe I'm being a little bit premature, given we've only had two into the building. But I also love that Dean would always say that. Dean Keats would always say in the building. And so I, now I'm just, I'm in the habit of saying that. I can't, I can't yeah, get they're, out of it. They're locked away in the race course until the season starts or something. But like you said <laughs> there, Nath, I think it's encouraging, actually, actually, in a sense that we've not just gone for a big marquee name necessarily to, to get the ball rolling. Obviously, I think there probably needs to be at least one, maybe two this summer that really do make a statement and are names that, that, that really do blow us away in terms of just arriving, just to give everyone that lift and that further endorsement and the belief that, that things are going the right way. Of course, the other thing is, Parkinson said in his opening interview in, at the press conference that when he was out of the game, he was scouting players from every level of, of English football, really, and he was keeping an eye on the players who were there. So these are players he was thinking, you know, if I go into a job that's League 2 or maybe non-League, these are the type of players I'd like to bring in. So the fact that, you know, Sean Brisley and Liam McAllendon are, are the two names who come in first indicates to me that they're two players that he's, he wanted for a while. And, you know, I don't think he was, you know, he wasn't planned to go into non-League football. We all know that. So maybe these are players he's looking to sign if he went to League 1 or League 2. So I think we've just got to give him the benefit of the doubt. And it very much is just throw the ball over to him now you know it, this is what we signed up for we, we we we've allowed this takeover to happen and we've lost that sort of power of course we weren't dictating who we signed before but you've just got to roll with it you know i don't want to sound like yeah, one of the gallagher brothers yeah. but let's just let's just go with the flow you know <laughs> yeah no you've been living in manchester too long now rich it's sounding like one of the gallagher brothers i was going to try to do a manc accent then no I, i'll spare you i'll spare you I'll, I'll, I'll chat about brisley who i think was the one that impressed me a little bit more you know hundreds and hundreds of games in football league level and I know that people will look at it and say well he didn't agree a deal to stay at Port Vale etc etc yada 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 but who knows what terms he's on he got offered a two-year deal both players McAllen as well got offered a two-year deal and I'm sure that was very enticing you know at our level one-year deals are pretty common and we've said haven't we in the past I can't remember who did we say to I think it might be Rob Ogilby go back to listen to that if you haven't already and maybe Kurt Sobbing as well about the difficulties you have on a one-year deal. Jordan White as well said this. The difficulties on a one-year deal. And so the, Brisley's coming in and, and McAllendon's coming in knowing that, I mean, if they really take off and set the world alight, then I'm sure they'll be looking to climb the ladder. But if they don't, then they've got two years to, to really work it out and, and take Wrexham up. And I know that Brisley said in his interview that it was very much, his decision was, you know, as big a club as Wrexham is, it was very much down to seeing Parkinson and he knew of interest before and, and then he saw that Parkinson had been appointed and if anything that made up his mind it just speaks I think to the stature Phil Parkinson has within the game I think it's easy to get caught up in sort of like Twitter threads and fan reaction on it didn't work out at Sunderland and, and therefore he's he's a bit of a he's got a bit of a tainted resume not at all I think there's a lot of players that look at him and think he's a, you know, very, very good manager and has proven himself to be a bit of a sure bet, really, at Colchester, Bolton, Bradford uh, and other places. So, yeah, I think I think Brisley's a smart centre-back. You know, well, that's obviously what we needed. Do you think he's someone there, who's but... going to be... Well, we spoke, obviously, with Kem last week and Kem said that he's, he, he thought Parkinson would try to get leaders in. Does Brisley? I mean, am I just going off the fact that his first name is Sean? Am I saying that he could be captain material or whatever? I don't know too many people that have worked with Brisley. I did put in a few calls. I don't think he will be the captain. That's just my gut instinct. I have nothing to back that up with, really. I watched his first interview. He didn't 
some people just give off an aura. And I think when you speak to Sean Pearson and you, you listen to his interviews, you just got that kind of that bellowing voice and that confidence and that sort of charisma that is inspiring to other people. Now, early days, Brisley seems a lot quieter in one sense. Yeah, to me, Nave, I'd say that Brisley, I'd be very happy if he's the sort of Vassell slash Kelleher replacement. I think we still need someone else who's going to be the, the Sean Pearson replacement. Yeah, massively. I, th- I think he's probably the Kelleher replacement. You, you know, someone that we've seen Kelleher go to Bradford and so it's essentially just a changing of the leagues between them. And there may not be much between them, really. I mean, uh, Kelleher kind of split opinion where I was looking online, but I think he was pretty solid and had he been retained, I don't think there'd have been too many complaints really on that. So I think Brisley's probably that mould. And he probably gives us the option as well in, t- in terms of playing a back three. French will give you that pace. Maybe Brisley or Anker is the is the centre of the three or he could play on the left. Or if we play in a four, you know, I think Brisley as, as one of the two is, is very good. And you've got then Tyler as, as maybe a backup option. I still think you need to kind of, I, I, I don't know, like a sure thing in terms of a captain. Not that Brisley isn't a sure thing. I mean, he's football league pedigree, but in terms of someone you know who's been a lead, I still think, I'm going to stand by this until we know it's not possible anymore with the window, but I still think we'll go and get someone else's captain like Grimsby did for us. I, I just think we're going to go and and whether it's the league below or potentially the league above, then I just think we're going to go and get someone who is used to being a captain and knows the responsibility and knows how to run a dressing room. That was what Kem sort of said, wasn't it? That you need people who know how to run a dressing room because he will often defer to those kind of core players to, to run it for him in, in certain moments. Exactly. Again, that's another reason why I'm maybe a bit aggrieved that Carrington didn't stay at least just to be vice-captain for another season because you look at the people who's got at his disposal. I don't really see Luke Young as a captain or vice-captain at this moment in time. I think he, yeah, I think he's a leader. I don't think he's the leader maybe we need next season. So, like you said, it's going to be really interesting to see. But yeah, welcome Sean Brisley. I look forward to seeing you in defence. But like I said, that I think we still need that that rock. You know, the, the man who's going to just be the leader, the one who's too good for the national league, just undisputed. We need. I, I want like a marquee signing up front and in defence. We've had two encouraging signings in either position, but maybe not the players we wanted yet. And I guess that does bring us on to Liam McCallaghan. Nafe, he's a striker who's been signed, uh, formerly of Wolverhampton Wanderers. Played for Morecambe last season, you know, a team who got promoted from League Two. So what more can you ask for, really? You know, uh, in terms of pedigree, he's certainly got that. But the the goal record, and I know maybe sometimes we get over-fascinated by yeah. this and we, and we maybe don't take into consideration the circumstances because... We've seen so many players come to Wrexham and not score goals, but score goals elsewhere. So, you know, we've had strikers who haven't done much. I'm thinking sort of Mark Becks, Bakaris, etc. And maybe fans of other clubs have been like, why are we signing him? But then he goes there and they do well. So I'm going to yeah, try to be as yeah. optimistic as possible and see it from the other point of view. But McAllendon, he doesn't look like the striker who's going to get top goal scorer and fires to the Football League on first look, does he? He doesn't. He doesn't on first look. And I, and I got wind of the deal... And I, I sent you his goal record. And you look at Halifax, I think he'd got double figures once in his career now. Yeah, it's all about context. You look at the amount of games he's played. I you know I don't know the teams of which he was playing in. They could have been terrible teams, no service. Obviously, in a, you know, in a microcosm, it doesn't look great. And as much as I liked Dior Angus last season, I, I didn't get the impression that he was 
going to explode in front of goal. So on first look, no, it was a little bit underwhelming, Rich, I'm going to be honest. But, you know, I've been wrong many times before. I, I was on here kind of, well, maybe not on here, but when before we started the podcast, I remember at the start of the season, I was very, very underwhelmed by Kwame Thomas. And I had to, I had to eat humble pie. By the end of the season, I thought he was a very shrewd signing and, and offered us a lot. And I felt like when he got injured we really fell off and we didn't quite look ourselves and I know we we narrowly missed out and whether he would have tipped us over the edge, who knows, but felt like we really lost a lot purely by, by his presence. And so, you know, McAllendon is, is a big lad, if anything, you know, that's what we we asked for. We, we asked for kind of a, a kind of a big target man. And I know that he's, he, he actually, to me, it seemed like he was the target man, but when Parkinson was speaking about him, he said, that, you know, he, he often likes to play off a target man or, or kind of just a bit deeper. So I'm really interested to know if, if we're going to get anyone bigger than, than McAllendon and otherwise we're going to be landing exactly. the Giants, I think. And, and that's the interesting thing because if you listen to the last two podcasts, on the first one we spoke to a Bolton insider and a Sunderland insider. Last week we spoke to Ken, is it? We both speak to someone else this week. He played under Parkinson at, at Bradford. And every, everywhere he's gone, he's played with that target man and someone else playing off him. Like everywhere. It's it's just been a consistent. And that's why we're expecting to see it at, at Wrexham ne- next season. Maybe this season. I'm still in that sort of blurred zone. Sorry for that. But we're expecting to have that, that big man. Obviously, Kwame's out for, you'd probably say, half the season, even in yeah, in the best, yeah. best, best case scenario. There's not going to be too many games over that festive period if he comes back then where you can maybe even give him the minutes because pitches are bad and you don't want to be risking any sort of repercussions. So it's going to be really interesting to see how eventually he's managed. But like Nave said there, that the tendency under Parkinson is to have that big man and someone else playing off him. Quite often, they're two quite tall strikers anyway. One of them's just a bit bigger than the other. McCallendon, like you said, was really interesting that Parkinson went, no, no, he can play out wide if he wants to. The thing is, I just haven't seen anything of him really. And I know Halifax yeah. fans were saying, well, he's really good when he's there particularly for that half season or whatever it was. The other thing which I think is crucial to point out is I know as soon as a striker signs, because I do this myself, I've done it my whole life, you, you load up the Wikipedia, you look for the goal-scoring record. The, the Wikipedia goal-scoring record for players is only ever their league output. It never yeah. shows the cups. Yeah. So th- there might be a few extra goals that you're missing out, but I think in McCallum's case, it wouldn't, bu- wouldn't bulk up the numbers anyway. So no, I think that's just no. a bit of context going forward in but, terms but, of when you look at your Wikipedia numbers. But Rich, we've, 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 got, we've had players, like you say, we've had so many strikers. I always think the one I always go back to is Dan Holman. And Wilkin did a pod recently um, and, and spoke about, I didn't necessarily speak about the Holman situation directly, but he did mention that you know people were saying, why wasn't he playing? And he was trying to say that he had to keep the, the squad balance but you know we've had so many players that have gone on elsewhere baffles me that Danny Wright you know left and is still at the top of his game at this level and I, I do wonder you know if we still had him where would we be because he, he was within what a penalty shootout of, of going up with Torquay this year and you've got Scott Bowden who okay wasn't fantastic for us but he was he was efficient enough really on his day also doing doing well at Torquay now and while we've only had two signings at the time of recording, Rich, talk of a reunion, so to speak, with a certain Mr. Scott Quigley. How would that one sit with you? And, you know, it's a name that fans do know. They're a lot more familiar with with Scott Quigley than they are, say, Liam McAllendon. What do you make? What are your memories of that season? I remember going to Gander Green Lane, which, you know, based down in London, and I remember going there 
And that was a kind of little and large combination with Bowden and and Quigley that day. And I think we got a one-all draw. I feel like Quigley scored that day, the opposite end to where the away fans are at Gander Green Lane. And I, I felt like he was a success, but there were just so many concerns over his fitness. I felt like we just didn't trust his body by the end. And, and eventually he goes on to Barrow and, and you know, has a success at Barrow. And, and I, I personally would be pretty happy if he was added. I don't, I don't know. Do you, do you think we need to keep a a spot free for a kind of a Mullen type, you know, a real marquee name up top? What do you reckon? I mean, the beauty is that we don't really maybe have to worry about the financials behind it all. Why can't we have both? Let's be greedy for once in our lives. But I think Quigley's an interesting one, particularly because, like you said, there's the previous links there. When he came, he scored 8 in 17 league matches for Wrexham. Really good return, that. Um, regained his confidence. And obviously, he then went on to, to sort of Football League fame beyond us, which, you know, we did assist. And obviously, then he went to, to Barrow, which everyone knows about. And he was the top goal scorer in the league by the time, you know, the, the, the last season was curtailed, you know. Um, so it's, it's yeah, it's a really interesting one. I think that he's he's definitely someone that would score goals for Exum. But again, it just depends on the system and what Parkinson's got, got in mind really going forward. I'd be very happy with, with Scott Quigley. I remember the goal he scored away at, at Hartlepool, which was just brilliant. Yeah. And it was a type of goal yeah. you don't often see at the National League. There was pace, power, his shot was beautiful into into the corner of the goal as well I think he he you know he has the confidence he's a proven scorer at this level like I said it, when he signed for Barrow he was the top goal scorer 20 goals when the National League was was curtailed um at the, uh, 2020 so mm. you know I do think that that there's the pe- potential there for, for for a deal to happen I think that he's the type of player we should be attracting the you know the rumors yeah. They, they don't surprise me at all because I think he, he very much is the calibre. But then you do wonder, is it just maybe getting fanciful because he is a name we know? And- potentially, potentially. You know, at this level, we don't know. You know, you're not going to know, I don't think, every single player. You, you, maybe you do. Maybe, you know, we both cover football, admittedly, at the higher level. But I even if you've heard of players knocking around in squads in, in League 2 or maybe National League North or South, you won't have watched them extensively. And so you're very much relying on third parties to plug the holes. I think with Quigley, we, we sort of know what we would get. And when you look at the stats, they fill you with a little bit more confidence. It doesn't mean anything. McAlinden could go on and and, and bag 20 goals, 25 goals, and, and Quigley could come in and, and could be a dud. No guarantees, of course. But I, I think he showed a lot of quality, I felt. you know, And I look at, again... Someone like Alex Reed at Stockport and, and barely got a sniff. You know, he started really well for us and then and then went off the boil massively and, you know, has really impressed alongside someone else we know from Wrexham, James Jennings at, at Stockport. But a, good, a nice segue now, Rich, might be that I actually spoke to a striker who played under Parkinson at Bradford. Now, I couldn't quite get it in time for last week's recording. After we'd wrapped the recording, I got a text to say, are you, are you free? We can have a chat. And so I thought, you know what, we'll keep it. But yeah, what I'll do is, uh, you haven't heard this, Rich, so far, but what I will do is play the tape of me having a chat with former Bradford City striker Zavon Hines. Zavon Hines, formerly of Bradford City, is on the pod. Zavon, thanks for coming on. I mean, the main question is, 
as it was in the title. What, what's it like to play for Phil Parkinson? What's he like? Um, yeah, first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for reaching out. Um, yeah, it was for me personally, it was good. Um, obviously, he signed me when I left Burnley. Um, and he just gave me a bit of confidence to come and just enjoy my football, um, which helped me at the time. So, yeah, it, it was good for me. He was a good man, um, a good coach. And he knew what he wanted from the team, which was very helpful in the end for the team. The word we kept getting when we were speaking to people about him was intense. Is that how you found him to be quite intense or, or did you find him to be, to be different when you was at Bradford? Um, I, think, I think he had a good, very good balance. I think he was very intense as in, like I said, he knew what he wanted to do. He knew how to win games. He knew um, his style. Um, his philosophy so he had all of that um, down to a T so that the next thing was about getting the players to understand that and he, he was able to do that in well one proper season I, I believe at the time um, and that for me that's the sign of not only a good uh, coach but just a good man because um, to get 20 plus professional from different backgrounds to be able to get engaged and understand what he wanted and what what was good for us as individuals as well um, um, helped us along the way. We, we've got Steve Parkin in as well. I, I mean, we, he was also at Bradford, wasn't he? We've got him in as our, as our number two, which has been well received. It, yeah. Does he take Does he take on more of the? Is he Is he the typical good cop and Parkinson the bad cop? How does it work with Parkin, Parkin rather than Parkinson? Uh, I, I, I think they both complement each other very well. Uh, um, Steve was very. Um, he was very intense as well, but he was he had a um, good way about it, if you know what I mean. He, he knew how to get, the, like I said, I think they worked well off each other. They had a good balance. Um, Sometimes they might switch roles on de depending on um, what individual it is. Um, and one thing I thought that was good about them, they knew how to um, treat each individual to their liking. Um, and I thought, I thought that was very good. Yeah, because one of the things that came up when we, when we spoke to Cam about the Colchester days was that Parkinson wouldn't be afraid to, to really lay on you in the dressing room and get in people's faces. Can, it, can he be quite aggressive when it needs to be? A hundred percent. I remember a few, um, a couple of times during the season, um, he, he did lose it a bit, but that's because um, he's a winner. Um, he knows what it takes to win. And, and I think, um, if it was if it was a case where he was just trying to pick on individuals, then it would have been a different story. But um, at the time, I, from what I can remember, I just believe the team weren't given a hundred percent, and that's all he asks for. Um, and I think that's a, that's a great thing to have. He asks for a hundred percent, and if we're unable to give that, whether it's in training or in games, then nine times out of ten you won't play. <laughs> so um, it, yeah, he had a good balance. Style of play, style of plays, been one of the things that that's come up a lot. You know, all his club Sunderland fan we spoke to didn't didn't obviously enjoy that spell. Bolton fan said it was ugly football but effective. Bradford was probably the one which which stood out. You you had great success under him there. Yeah. Would you would you say that he he's pragmatic in a way that it's it's more about winning than than maybe playing dazzling football? Was that fair? Um. Not really. I think, like I said, he had the balance, um, but 
he tried to play to the strength of the players that we had. Um, we had some decent ball-playing uh, midfielders, um, good ball-playing midfielders. Um, we had wingers that were able to be dominant 1v1. Um, we had a big guy up front who wins every flick on. We had Naki Rose who, who scored a lot of goals. So it utilises that. And mm. um, for me, um, it's not a bad thing. It's just understanding your, the individuals that you have um, and basically just how to be effective. I think a lot of um, fans, um, pundits, a lot of people in general, they just want um, the Pep Guardiola style of football and it's, it's not going to happen. Um, at times, we played some amazing football in League Two, um, especially in the cup round. We played some good football as well when we played against the teams higher up in um, in the um, in the higher leagues. And we was we were comfortable on the ball, and we just he had a team, and he just knew how to get the best out of each individual. And I thought that was that was a masterclass, maybe. <laughs> well, well, we've we've got Devonte Redmond who, who barely played last season, but you know has come through the Man United school of of training and. There was concern that Parkinson comes in and and he's not going to go for this creative type midfielder. But basically, from what what you said is that he he's very much willing to adapt to the players he has, and he's not necessarily set on one said system of five at the back or or three at the back or whatever it is. Um, to be fair, when it comes to the formation, we rarely change formation, um, and the team rarely changed because we had a consistent period. So. Uh, he, I've, he believes at the time anyway that if it's not broken, don't fix it. Unless someone gets injured, then obviously replace them. But our style of play and how we wanted to affect games remain the same and remain consistent. And it won't be one type. Uh, there'll be two or three different ways that we might be able to affect our opponents. Um, so that was, that was good for me. I, at the time, I was obviously probably a little bit more younger and a little bit more immature. Um, so at times I probably wanted to probably overplay as they will say um, but weren't being effective and then he got it into me that I need to be more effective um, and not try to look too pretty and that's one thing I've learned under him and obviously other managers as well The, the players that are there now that they've had a couple of days with him this week first back to training when you wanted to have a conversation is, it, is he a guy that you can approach, or is it more that he lets park in, get closer to the players, and and he's maybe a bit more detached from the players? Is that is that more fair to say? Um, for me personally, when we was at Bradford, I felt like I could go speak to him at any time. To be honest, um, mm. so uh, obviously it's been, this was like probably six years plus now. Um, so I felt like I could talk to him at any time, and I felt it was easy to talk to him. He never, he was never one that was. Um, well, he normally told you the truth, um, and um, Parkin, um, he will tell you the truth as well for sure. So, um, like I said, they they're a good balance. Um, they bounce off each other well, and and he's quite open. Um, yeah, it just depends on some some individuals feels scared to go approach managers in general, so they might feel that oh, they can't speak to some some managers. But it just depends on the individual. I was always okay with because I wanted to play. And if I weren't playing, I, I want to know why. And then if, if it's something that I need to work on, I need to know. So that's just me as an individual. And when you look back on, you know, a last one from me, when you, when you look back on your time with him, how do you think he impacted you as a, as a, as a person or, or a player? 
Um, he he did help me in a, in a way to get love love the game, love winning again. Um, and for me, that that was a good thing. Because um, at one point, I just not not that I didn't love the game, but I just wanted to play. Um, and he gave me the opportunity to play, but then also at the same time, he gave me the opportunity to adapt to different leagues. Um, bearing in mind, I was coming from a higher league, so the thought process was probably um, a bit different. So him having an understanding of that, he was able to help me adapt. And I thought that was one of the biggest things that he helped me with. Zalan, that's been really interesting and like I say I really appreciate you you giving up your time we're very excited and so hopefully you know for us Phil Parkinson dropping down to non-league is a big thing and he's got a great CV and if we get anywhere near the success that Bradford had uh, in that changing room because one of our issues is that we don't have many leaders at the minute as, as we record this we've okay. lost our club captain we've lost a lot of our defenders and we've got a lot of young players there now at your time at Bradford, and you, and you remember that dressing room, the leaders will be key, won't they? In terms of what he'll need, he'll need to go out and get a, a, gr- a core group of experienced players that he knows he can he can trust. Yeah, hundred percent. I think um, sometimes it, it will depend on his leaders a little bit. But one of his biggest thing that I felt that he done was he created a team that wanted to fight for each other. Um, I know that we could, if you. We say that we get a core group of leaders, like two or three. But if we, if you could get 11 players, 15, 16 players um, fighting for the same cause and understanding the, what's at the end and fighting for each other, I think that's more powerful than just getting two or three leaders. And I think at Bradford, he, he had that and he created that environment where um, all of us saw end goal and which was promotion and then once we went on that cup run we thought that oh yeah this is not impossible kind of thing to get to the final and at least and and then we actually done that so I think he just installed that belief in us that we as a collective if we're able to fight for one another then we could achieve great things and I think that was that was one of the best things over a period of time that he'd done. Really interesting stuff that Nay for Zavon there. They sort of hinting that Parkinson and Parkin can have that sort of good cop, bad cop interchanging roles. It's yeah, really interesting. But I think that is crucial. Parkin coming with Parkinson because mm. you need that ally. And I know watching sort of the damned United and stuff, seeing how Clough was, you know, having Taylor by his side. I think that the assistant managers so often are the unsung heroes. They do a, a lot of work, and I think particularly you know the season going ahead, I think it will be very much about that collective rather than just focusing on Parkinson himself. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, really appreciate Zavon giving up his time. Really interesting because he worked with both Park, Steve Parkin and Phil Parkinson. So that was a little bit different to Kem and made it slightly more relevant, even though it was still, you know, a number of years ago now. But I, I just thought it was really interesting. You know, we've been talking a lot about strikers this week since McAlinden came in. And I thought Zavon is basically in that mold of, you know, that kind of smaller, pacier, Dior Angus type, you know, uh, Jordan Ponticelli type. And so I thought, just pick his brains. I thought it was really interesting that he said how approachable he felt Parkinson was because often strikers can feel very slighted, no, when when they don't get games or it's not going right for them in terms of they're not, they're not getting the returns they need or et cetera, et cetera. And I also thought it was really interesting when I threw it to him about 
you know, Devonte Redmond in our squad and people like Dan Jarvis, I, know I didn't name him in, in, in that interview, but sort of saying that, I, I said to him, do, do you think it is this kind of like ugly, effective football? And, and he pushed back on it in, in the bit we heard. You know, he said that Parkinson will adapt to the players that he has. He's very much pragmatic to, to what he has at his disposal. And so maybe we were a little bit hasty to, to write off completely. We'll soon find out. You know, that, that first Yeovil home game, I think that will give us a clear idea of what he feels at that time is his strongest eleven. Yeah, I think but, another point that he said there, Nath, is at Bolton particularly, he has his hands tied. He could only play that sort of football because of the embargo and stuff. And I do think that of all the supporters that, we, that we've sort of spoken to and you've seen on social media, the Bradford ones are the ones that are most complimentary. And, you know, I do think that he's not stupid. You don't just go into a job and say, this is the way we're going to play. You have to evaluate it. I think that it's the most effective way of getting out of this league anyway. And I think that trying to play attractive football just doesn't quite often work in the National League. I think you can do it in your home matches because our pitch is mm. Football League standard. But there are just going to be times where you can't do that. And that's not because of management or personnel. That's just the facilities almost. You know, yeah. it's going to be very difficult yeah. to, to do that. So I am encouraged and I do think he has got that versatility. Like you said, Yeovil at home, first day of the season. That's not just about getting off to a good start. It's about getting those fans and that bumper crowd back throughout the season. Those winter months where maybe form does dip a little bit. Maybe we have a shaky result here or there. You need to get that retention. You need to get the excitement. We've got everything in place, but you know, fans still want to be entertained. It it doesn't matter if Rob and Ryan are in charge and we're we're losing every uh, because if we're losing every week, fans won't turn up. You know, you've got to play attractive, successful football. So it could be really, really interesting to see how how he actually does approach those games. I, I think it's probably a good time, Rich. I got an email this week, or we got an email, and you can email us, robryanred at gmail.com. Let's got that right. Uh, and this was from Michael in Cardiff. So thanks to Michael, Wrexham fan in Cardiff, that got in touch. He said, I very much enjoyed your last podcast. It occurs to me that one of the reasons why Wrexham have yet to break the glass ceiling out of the National League is that inevitably they become the team to be. The fact that there's an international dimension to each match gives added impetus to opponents to raise their game and probably accounts for why we've consistently failed to beat teams in the lower half of our league. I'm sure you know many share that opinion. And he said, add to this that teams below us will now have the added incentive of playing against a Hollywood-driven setup, and that they themselves will want to put on a good show for the cameras and, and we have a recipe, what he says, for real struggle. We're going to need to grind out key results and play ugly when needed, You know, referring to what Kem said about this ugly but effective style. And he ended it, Rich, and this was the, the main bit that my main takeaway from the email. So thanks, Michael, for that. He says, it suggests to me that attend- more attention needs to be given to the psychology of the game. And perhaps we should add a sports psychologist to the team. What do you think? Now, you've had a lot of experience covering Man City, Man United, a completely different level to what we're used to. And, and they have all the specialists and all the kind of psychologists and you know, everything they need, these clubs have. How beneficial do you think that would be in terms of, I know supporters kind of feel like we're a little bit cursed, but you need the players to shake off any burden of all these disappointments. I know there aren't many there that maybe have survived it, but got to try. I'm personally a big advocate for sports psychology and, you know, the mental side of the game as much as being able to turn up tactically and and get it done. You know, I, I feel like, a sports psychologist, not that it, it maybe might not have made a difference, but for me, I look at it going into that Dagenham game where all the pressure was on us and the way we set up and the way we played suggested that we were terrified 
of losing the game. And in the end, we didn't lose it, but results results cost us. And so that's a really interesting email from Michael. I don't know what you think on that, Rich. I think it's crucial. I think that the mental approach next season is going to be what what defines how, how successful the season is, really. And I think it is a, a reoccurring issue we've had throughout the last five, ten years, maybe our whole sort of National League, non-league, whatever you want to call it, sort of era. You think about the amount of times, and this isn't like trying to be jovial or whatever. Whenever we're on TV, we so often lose and or we don't perform because there's that added pressure, I think, that, that they feel they've got more fans watching who maybe paid to watch them to to sort of deliver the goods. And you look at us choking at big moments in the season. It happens consistently throughout different sets of players. You look at the way that every team treats going to Wrexham as the cup final. We saw it early in the season, I believe, when we lost to Aldershot. They were tweeting Ryan Reynolds gifts and stuff at full time because it's just a, a free hit. And alternatively, on the other hand, when we played Salford and when we beat them on Boxing Day, all our fans were singing F off Gary Neville because we weren't just beating them, we were beating their owners. And there was that extra sort of incentive to do so. And I know they were the baddies who were, who were coming up with all the money. Of course, we've got the cash now. We've got more history, of course, than, than them. That's, that's what I'm saying. And we're a much bigger club. But we're going to be more of a scalp. And, you know, I think particularly at this level, the margins are so fine. You know, I think all the teams we've seen in the past who have spent big, they don't necessarily do well because it's not just about getting the personnel in. It's not just about spending money. It's about managing it properly. And I think the mental approach is crucial. And, you know, in top flight, fo- top flight football, it's it's a given. Every team has sports sort of scientists and they have those sort of coaches who, who deal with the, the therapy sessions and a lot of counselling work as well behind the scenes. I know individual players who have their own sports scientists and and their own team of sort of mental well-being coaches who work with them. You know, In the top flight, that's just a given now. That is as important as the diet. It's as important as the, what happens on the training ground. It's being in the right mental frame to, to not only ensure there's less setbacks, but the, to then get over them. And, you know, particularly prominent this week I know Wrexham fans won't really care at all but it's gonna you know the out sort of the in the wake of the European Championship final the amount of sort of sports psychology that's gonna go into getting those penalty takers sort of back in the right mental shape ahead of the new season is gonna be crucial and it's because they've got trained professionals who who work so tirelessly to do that so I think it is crucial for Wrexham to to have that in place for the next season. I believe that's what we're going to do. Even this week, talking about Man United, they've hired a special coach just for set pieces. It shows just how fine these details are. It's happened at Liverpool as well. They had the throwing coach infamously. And then, of course, they've, they've scored goals from set pieces, quickly taken ones as well. So those fine margins need to be capitalized upon. And it would be foolish of Wrexham not to have a sport psychologist in place for the new season. Now, in other news, Rich, I feel like you'll be better qualified than me to talk on this because I've been pretty open that I typically sit in the paddock. And so often I I don't get a great sense of Mould Road or, or the tech end, you know, the Rex Rent stand, isn't it, officially? But I just refer to it as the tech end. The refurbishment on there, Rich, in in there, you know, new new refurbishment area, new, sorry, new refreshment area and, and new toilets and everything like that. Is your experience of the of the tech end in terms of do you feel like the the viewing experience from there is is poor is average is is good? I know a lot of people were talking about the the scoreboard and maybe that could be elevated up or could be put on the cop side or the cops being redeveloped. I think 
putting personally putting it on the cop side would make a lot more sense than everyone could see it just just my experience i mean i don't sit in the, in the tech end i know it's probably where the best atmosphere is in, the, in terms of the the kind of the the noisiest fans often it's where bootleggers film many a video but again you know another positive step for the club Fleur very sort of positive about about the developments there yeah, and I've always, I mean, I used to sort of call it the Gus because my first sort of years where I was going proper hardcore were when, you know, the sort of turn of the last decade. And, you know, I've, I always like that stand because I'm too young really to be, have been going to the cop every weekend because it just wasn't a thing. But then when I had sort of had the finances and the first games I ever went to with my dad, really, we most of them would be, you know, in the tech end, as you call it. Obviously, that, that, that might, might age me and show just how sort of, new to this I am to, to some of the old timers but uh yeah you know it's still a, a hell of a long time for sporting this club and it's taken its toll but you know for me like I said and I think I said in previous podcast in a really weird sort of perverse way the tech end is my home ahead of the cop because I've had so many more hours there so many more horrible moments so many moments of elation just just by sort of bulk and by pure numbers so I'm delighted that there's there's renovation to go on to it and I think as well it's those quality of life changes that are so delightful about the takeover we spoke about the live streams when that was you know overhauled that wasn't something they had to do but they did it because it makes it okay it makes it a better product to sell commercially worldwide but it's just better for the fans and again renovating a stand where you've got a real good sort of working class background of fans going in and showing them that they're appreciated giving back to them showing that their interests are at heart it's fantastic news it's always been a bit run down a bit desolate behind there i've gone to games with my parents before and you know i've always been a bit like 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 i know it's crap i know there's cobwebs everywhere i know it's cold i know it's dusty (laughs) but this is just wrexham you know and i think you know at the end of the day if the stadium wasn't being renovated i'd still be back there in a heartbeat you know come come august so it's just another nice bonus it's like a sort of a a supplementary sort of addition which we weren't expecting this summer i know they've been working hard to do it but at the end of the day the way that this club will make money the the main way is of course you've got the documentary bill boots on the ground it's getting people into the stadium and if you want to attract this new audience you know they're trying to open the the club to people who don't even maybe like football you want to get more families in families might who might not have lots of income the cheapest place to sit is behind the goal great atmosphere yes there's probably a few swear words that you might have to cover the ears for but you need to try and have it as welcoming as possible so i think new toilet facilities new refreshment area lick of paint just make it feel a bit more nice new modern something else to be proud of you know the reason we're going there is because we're proud of the town. Everyone's working, you know, their nuts off nine to five, you know, all week. Some massively, people doing nights, massively. people just trying to get money so they can go watch the town on the weekend. That's all that matters. We're all going to be there for our pilgrimage, you know, just to, to worship the side. So I think fantastic. For our sins, unfortunately. For yeah, our sins, we've been but... cursed. But... So where do we go now, Rich? Um, you know, in terms of what's your understanding with our schedule? There's no, obviously, America trip now. I'm sure... Deep down, he won't come out and say this, but no doubt Parkinson is probably delighted that there's no America trip. That's that's not what Robin Ryan would have wanted, of course. We don't know whether Ryan would have even been able to go, but we know that Parkinson was at the Hollywell Town game for the youngsters early this week, and you know I'm I'm sure that there was no one in that in that team that that will get the step up. A lot of young lads in there. We won the game, Wrexham Youth won the game, and, and Dan Nolan is, is, is running that 
that young Red Dragons team. But it just shows that he's getting involved. He's getting stuck in a trip to Hollywell in midweek. Uh, you know, maybe not everyone's cup of tea, but he's doing it. He's getting stuck into the area. I'm not too sure where he's living currently. Be interested to know where he's kind of renting a place. But yeah, pre-season-wise at the minute, we've just got a behind-closed-doors friendly with Sheffield Wednesday officially on the books. We need a bit more, don't we, Richard? Otherwise, we'll be completely undercooked when it and it comes to playing Yeovil. Yeah, of course. I think the other thing you've got to take note is many teams having just sort of returned at this level. There's quite staggered return dates, nothing too set in stone about when other teams that you could play as well sort of get back into action. I work with some people who support football league clubs and one of my Oldham supporter mates has been to Ashton United and Staley Bridge Celtic this week, you know, and although Philadelphia Union would have been nice, give me Kevin Jewett's, you know. <laughs> I just want I just want like a, a nice local yeah. game to go to really, and of course got the news from Mark Drakeford, which landed on Wednesday, Jeez. saying that from Saturday Jeez. there'll be no limit on the amount of people who can gather outdoors in Wales, and there'll be no need to socially distance distance sorry when outdoors. Of course, it still says that we must stick to six people and keep our distance when indoors, which is still maybe a bit interesting to see how that works in terms of turnstiles and. The concourse right. areas, etc. I think that's still a bit of a grey area. I'm not too sure. I'm not going to go into it too deep because no. I don't know. I don't want to spread false information, you know, Donald Trump style. But <laughs> if, if if you know, the premise is from outdoors. There's no there. There's no need to socially distance. So surely we need to get games. And again, that's probably another endorsement of playing maybe a local side where we can all stand around the edges and just just enjoy a nice evening and have some Welsh sunshine. But yeah, in terms of pre-season, Sheffield United, Sheffield Wednesday, sorry, behind closed doors. Um, yeah, it's similar to the one we had under Gary Mills when we played Nottingham Forest behind closed doors. That was a good competitive game and one to to, to sort of get up to speed again. I Not think... good for Jordan White, though, was it? That was what that was the one where Jordan White said it it, be, it be, you know kind of began to to go wrong for him with his horror injury so again just to plug that one do you go back and listen to that episode that one's been really well downloaded and you know far exceeded my expectations actually on that one so thanks for all the support on that one definitely go and give that uh, a listen but yeah rich I-, I know we've said it before you-, you you've been to the race course a couple of times for commentary when it was behind closed doors a lot of us haven't been for a, a long time and and perhaps i'm being sentimental or hyperbolic in a way uh, you- You'd hope I'm not being, but it's it's quite emotional, isn't it? I think the news that fans will be able to go back and, and people are sort of gearing up for that pre-season opening and you just want to see Yeovil bring, I know it's a long way, but you'd hope Yeovil bring a good support and, and the Kairas is, is, is packed. And I think when I get to go back, whether it's for that first game or, or whether it's for another, and I get to go as a fan to watch Wrexham, I, I just think it'll be, yeah, I think it'll be quite emotional. And I, I've, I've thought about that since Drakeford's announcement and... I'm sure I'm not alone in, you know, when, when we see the players come out of the tunnel and we we hear the anthems and, and, and all that kind of thing. And Just wait till you see say, the ad boards in real life. It blows no. you away, man. It, it really? blows you away. Really? Yeah, I was just wasn't expecting it. It just looks so like professional again. And I guess it's going to be so weird because, like you said, even when I've been fortunate enough to go over the last season, it's just been a hollow shell. I know that I'm still so privileged and lucky and I know anyone listening to this would have done unthinkable things probably just to go watch us beat Kingsley at home but the f- it, it didn't feel right you know it still felt almost like a, a morgue at times it just felt like there was something missing something so crucial and I guess it is just the soul the club wasn't there the heartbeat was wasn't mm-hmm. there you know we had the body we had the shell but there was no blood pumping through 
And yeah, it's it's going to be completely different when we finally get that packed house. And I think that everything's starting to come together, point towards that that game against Yeovil could be that proper curtain raiser. All eyes on us. I know there'll be loads of media attention as well because it'll be that first sort of proper game. You know, since we've been able to really implement changes from the takeover as well, who knows? You might even have an owner or two in attendance, but that's going to rely on on other things, isn't it? But I think that it's just going to be such a party atmosphere, such a feel-good atmosphere, and just a a reunion for all of us to go back to to our place of worship, really. And and I know you might have, have other sort of religious beliefs or whatever, but the one thing which which we all share in common and it doesn't matter what background you have, what political views necessarily, um, although some fans will maybe argue against that one, um, but what your background is, what your beliefs are, at the end of the day, we all turn up to support the team and that's what we've got to have. We've got to have that unity and that's got going to be crucial because we've got to just back the new manager, back the owners, back the players heading into the new season. Hopefully there are a few other pre-season games before then. I think that We've been waiting for the news from Drakeford and, and hearing what restrictions are going to be in place before we can confirm them. I think they'll be ready to go. And I think maybe even by the end of this week, we'll have a, a few more penciled in because those sort of things are organised in the background with with the proviso that if things change, they will go ahead. So there'll be stuff set in place. It's not going to be a rushed sort of schedule, I don't think. There is talk of another big game, which is going to be organised. Um a biggie by the sounds of it. Yeah, we can't put, say who it is, but well, putting biggie, two and two no together, doubt. you know, there's there is a very high profile Northwest Premier League team who aren't playing Oof. on the weekend before the Premier League starts. I'm doing United versus Everton that Saturday, so maybe another Merseyside team might might have something else to to do. I I don't maybe. know, but but there maybe. is no announcement there, and I must say. There's no real insight there. That is just putting two and two together. We've not been tipped off or, or or anything. And, you know, I think because they've missed out on the Philadelphia Union game, the club will be keen to have something to reward the fans this, this pre-season, to reward the players, give another incentive and another sort of, I'm not going to call it like a PR stunt or whatever, but just another, you know, sort of know. moment to get that attention. I mean, even when we played but, but, Stoke a few seasons ago, I know when Mark Hughes brought us side, and I think we lost 6 0 or 6 or 1 at the like race that, course. Yeah. I think it was 6 0. But that was great. That was I still enjoyed that. It was still nice, almost the novelty of seeing the players that you see, you know, you watch and you know on social media, and you feel like you do know this, this set of Wrexham lads, even though some of them are new faces or whatever. But seeing them up against players you usually watch on the TV is, is a really nice sort of work of pre-season isn't it so and, and and if we and if we are joining the dots you think Humphrey supports a very popular team in the northwest and Peter Moore worked for a very popular team in the northwest that there would be a lot of people that could probably make it happen you know so we'll just have to keep an eye out and, and see if we've added two and two together and got four rich or we've got it completely wrong and, and we may be just getting a little bit ahead of ourselves but I think I, you know what I want. All I was going to say is my final kind of comment for the, this week's pod is I really hope the new lads, especially McAlinden, and we don't know who else is going to come in yet, but I really hope he hits the ground running because I remember being at Bromley away uh, in the Graham Barrow era, say it quietly, and it was freezing cold, and uh, I remember Rob Ogilvie was saying that he'd scouted. He'd scouted Bromley and, you know, they were huge. They were a huge team, Land of the Giants, really, um, no exaggeration. And I remember Jason Oswell made his debut and I was very excited. I was thinking, right, he's done really well and he's come in. And I remember there was the odd, you know, I'm not going to say fans, plural. It was a couple, one or two that 
were giving Arsenal a terrible time, hammering him with, with criticisms because he, he was getting no service and he, he didn't do anything really. So I just think there's going to be so much pressure attached to every one of our games. And, and like our emailer said, you know, we will be the huge scalp in front of the documentary. Everyone will want to kind of make us look daft on the documentary. And so I, I just really hope that, you know, that the Oval game, if we have a party atmosphere, we don't go and, and blow it. And, you know, I don't want to sound doom and gloom like the Grim Reaper, but remember the, I'm sure you went, Rich, the, the anniversary game against Grimsby. I've never been more excited for a game. The atmosphere was incredible. And, and then, then we don't hold our nerve. So I really just hope that by the time the season comes around, Parkinson has all the tools in his arsenal, so to speak, and, and, he, and he's going into battle with the squad that he firmly believes can go up. I'm sure he will do. I'm sure that we'll end up with a flurry of signings. Now, we seem to do signings in twos and threes. And and look, the players he's kept on, people like Record, front and centre of, of the shirt campaign. You know, you look at the kind of creative midfielders. You've got, you've got Young, two-time player of the year. You've got Davis. You've got Redmond, Jarvis. People like that. Plenty of creativity in there. I'm sure he'll add one or two himself. Wing-backs don't seem a problem. Full-backs... And so, yeah, who knows? We could be could be going to back to Scott Quigley's Red and White Army, or we need to think of some chance, don't we, about Phil Parkinson depart life, or what other kind of... We'll have a think for another pod, Rich, but I just really hope that it all kind of clicks together now because we've, we've so much is going to ride on this season. So much is being built up, the 12-month rolling deal, TikTok, you know, people speculating about how much money we're going to get. I just really don't want us to fall flat on our face. It'd be typical Wrexham if it did. Yeah, but... We've seen it all before. This is a bit different. It's got a, it's got a different sort of coat on it, shinier. It's exciting. Let's just enjoy it. No matter what it happens, is, it is. we can't be negative. We can't be pessimistic. Wrexham have Hollywood guardians, of the, yeah, guardians, guardians of the club yeah. who have our best interests at heart. Who knows what lies ahead? We'll be there every step of the way on Rob Ryan Red. As always, thank you very much for listening to the latest episode of the podcast. If you can, please do leave us a review. That helps us grow. There you go. You subscribe. You can like. You can review us on Apple. It's a very good review. You can follow us if you want us to follow it on, on Spotify. You can tweet us. Twitter, again, is doing brilliant. We're getting lots of interaction on there. really appreciate all of that, and I see everything on there, at Rob Ryan Red. And if you want to email us, like we had the email earlier, you can email us robryanred at gmail.com. It's the 90th minute. All your mates are around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is, that's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.